Ego Hour acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Good Brother. And I'm Will Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the time before we talk. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law. And any argument you find yourself in with a film school student. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, and non-descript. So, let's talk about The Social Network. Released on the 1st of October 2010, The Social Network, also known by its original release title, The The Social Network, (laughs) is the story of Mark Zuckerberg, the origin of Facebook, and the early lawsuits the company faced. Directed by David Fincher, the film was made on a budget of $40 million and grossed $224.9 million. Clocking in with a runtime of 120 minutes, the film may just leave you wondering, does this movie even capture the most interesting years of Facebook's existence anymore? Yeah, the big question at the end of this is like, when's the sequel coming out? Because you feel like it should exist. There's a discussion of it. Um, oh, interesting. End of With 2019, uh, Eisenberg and Sorkin. Interesting. It'd be pretty cool. And they do the whole Congress hearings and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. I think Sorkin writing like a, he does all law stuff, law dramas now. Mm. He'd probably try and direct it though, wouldn't he? No, they said he, he said he only wants in if Finch is there. Yeah, interesting. Anyway, big film. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Mm-hmm. Huge. <laughs> well, immediately, it's crazy that it was made on a budget of $40 million, don't you reckon? Like it doesn't seem that high budget or? Yeah. Or, well, what's interesting to me is that we're further away from this film than we are from the create... The, this film was from the creation of Facebook. Say that in... In English. Yeah. So... Time-wise, we're further away from this film being released than this film was from when Facebook was invented. Yes. So, which is why the sequel talk is actually super interesting because, like, we have so much more insight into what Facebook is and means Mm. that it's it's an entirely different beast now. And, you know, if they made the social network in 2025 or something like that, telling the same story, it would be a completely different movie, I think. I think this movie could only exist in the context of Facebook at the time that it was made. Yeah, it's it's such a fascinating element of this film and its role in everything uh, based on how it relates to the, the time, basically. I can even reflect on watching this when it came out, not in cinemas, but at home. And I think we felt differently about Facebook. And 2010 was when I got Facebook, I think. I was a later doctor. So you were sold. <laughs> you saw this movie and you said, I got to get on there. But I mean, I was like the last person. Here's a little anecdote is that we had some cybersecurity talk at high school where they set us in the auditorium mm. and some guy gave a speech about security. And he's like, put your hands up if you don't have a Facebook account. And it was like literally me and one other girl who really? didn't have Facebook. What year? Yeah. I would have been 15 or something like that. You were in high school. Okay. Yeah. You'd be year nine or something. Yeah. I would have been year nine. Anyway, that, that is quite unreal. But I think that even at the time, I remember thinking Facebook was going to die. Mm. I think because the, the things that they even reference in this movie, MySpace and Napster, it seems like stuff 
in this early part of the internet, early like 2000s stuff, it came and then it went and it didn't have the same ripple. And But it's what Facebook is, is, is completely different from what it was when this film came out and even when it was invented. Yeah. The evolution has made it, it's just not the same thing anymore. You know? Yeah. All the things that were like visionary that made Facebook successful have not become the key parts of Facebook anymore. You know, mm. like Zuckerberg having the breakthrough memory decides about the relationship status and stuff like that. It's like, that's not that relevant. I, like, obviously it is relevant, but I don't know. Things like that aren't as important as they once when they were when this film came out, I think. Even stuff like Twitter has changed as well because mm-hmm. Twitter and Facebook have a direct relationship mm-hmm. as places where people go to brain vomit. Yeah. Um, but it seems like Twitter has overtaken Facebook as the, the public one. I guess it was always made for that. Mm-hmm. But then even Facebook now has a different relationship because of Snapchat. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it own Insta- owns Instagram is still so untouched, I reckon. I don't think it's nearly acknowledged as much as it should be that it's the same company. Because yeah. I remember, well, we've definitely talked about how young people make fun of our generation already. And I'm not, I oh, know our generation, my age, which is 23, it already, they're already making fun of people above 20 for using Facebook still, right? Yeah. I had this, when I was 18, turning 19, I was, teaching guitar lessons and one of my students was like a 12 year old kid in so like in uh, he was either in year seven or grade six and we just had some exchange where he's like oh yeah you know who uses facebook everybody uses instagram and like i was like fresh out of high school i remember thinking like shit like i'm already behind the curve on something (laughs) the kids the kids are catching up and it just gets getting worse you know yeah we could turn this into a generational discuss discussion about how 18-year-olds were born in 2000 now. Yeah, um, I'm checking for ID. You'd know this experience as well. Yes, uh, I had a few close dodges. <laughs> anyway, we don't want to be on here boomerang, so like we can move on to the next Yeah, thing. But yeah, essentially this film is fascinating because it's, it's analysing history as though it's a little bit wrapped up. But then I think they knew what they were doing as well. Um, this film has copped a lot of... received a lot of praise. You cop criticism, you receive praise. Um for being aware of what Facebook, what might happen to Facebook in the near future mm. because Facebook was still, at least broadly, in the honeymoon phase where everyone loved it um, and created social networks and positive connections and it, the, the hatred of social media hadn't come through quite the same. So some of the praise they've received is like he predicted how it was, it had to do with people and relating to other people and... Uh, he being Zuck or he being Sorkin? Sorkin. Yeah. And, well, I guess, yeah, okay, let's jump into that already. Sorkin or Fincher, like, how do you define the relationship in this film? Between the, As like, like, who's the, doing what? Yeah, the author and stuff. It's, it's one of those rare things where you feel like it is a collaboration, a true collaboration between two collaboration. people. Is that a, a bit of a... Collaboration is a real a, thing. A video soundbite from... <laughs> The, what is it? Lessons from the screenplay. It's my video essay. I will explain what parasite is a masterpiece. Really haven't got much to say. So I'll just pause unnecessarily. Which is a good vid. We'll give that a shout out. I did enjoy that one they do on the social network. Give that a YouTube. It feels very distinct. It's it's really cool that it's two people who I guess would claim 
the most attention on a respective film maybe and but both of them are at the forefront of this and it feels like both of them are really putting the same thing in do you know what i mean yeah but it's just like Fincher's never going to make a film that doesn't feel like it's a Fincher film. Yeah. You know, he's not a director who can be pushed to the side by some sort of other driving force, I would say. I think what is so fascinating about this story is that by writing about history, you, I think you really come to the forefront, like your directorial decisions and your script writing decisions really come to the front because you're basically doing a creative interpretation of fact. Hmm. And obviously it has to exist because... They're not going to have actors play out a courtroom shot by shot, you know, like word by word as it was said. And, you know, no one had a microphone in the room when Zuck was setting up face mash or whatever. So you are going to dramatize things. I think I, I remember being younger and not liking historical based movies as much mm-hmm. because afterwards you go oh was this true was this true and they'd be like no 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 and you're like oh well that just undermines everything yeah but in reality this is more this is actually what consuming news and history is like you're putting your own slants on stuff and plus the only reason it's fascinating is because they're still assigning their own moralistic interpretation to a so basically you're saying like you're not really consuming the truth anyway like Mm. when you hear stuff you know it's been through some filters yeah you should be appreciating it for what it is rather than yeah because they're, they're using um, history as a springboard to talk about something else, sort of, you know. Do you agree with that? I don't know. Well, what are they talking about, you think? It's more about the themes and the plot eventually. Because the plot, you know, you actually should, in theory, know what happened in this. You, you could look up what happened in the, the court hearings and the solutions and, or the conclusions, at least. So when you're making a movie about factual history, you're... It's more about what you as a writer and a director want to project onto it. Yeah. Anyway, except that is sort of a small criticism of mine of the film as well. I, when I think about this film, because I guess the context is that I know that people love this film. Just quickly doing some reading on it. It's on so many websites and publications, top 10 movies of the 2010s and stuff. And it came out in 2010, which is quite fascinating mm-hmm. because you'd... Because when something happens on the precipice, it's, it's kind of more, it could maybe be representative of the years before than the actual year. But yeah, so I was looking for this film like, oh, it should be good. It should be really good film when I rewatch it. And yet I kind of feel like it's actually not that super exciting of a story. Okay. So for that reason, it allows the craftsmanship of the film to shine. Okay. Yeah. The dialogue and the yeah. filmmaking. And maybe what people are reacting to is how the film is so constructed and how it's... I think it really shines what the filmmaking medium's doing in a story like this. I would say that the problem with this film maybe is that the parts... It's not greater than the sum of its parts. It's like as good as the sum of its parts. Yeah. And there are some really amazing parts in this film. Mm. But maybe when those parts are working so well that you and you're watching the final product you're kind of a bit like it should be a little bit better than this for some reason. And it's not, between, it's not like you can say that because it's, you know, con, like conflicting visions or, you know, like Sorkin and Fincher not actually cooperating. Yeah, but that, I, I agree with that feeling. Do, do you know what I mean? And particularly like the soundtrack is like the best soundtrack of all time probably. Yeah, it's such a good soundtrack. Um, 
it's pretty like we've been bumping this on repeat before watching this. I watched it all last year when I was studying. I listened to this. Yeah, I listened the time. to it a bit, but I hadn't. I wanted to not dive in before seeing it okay. again because I watched this recently last anyway, year. Because it's the same sort of thing. Like it comes up all the time in dialogue about films, mm. in discussions about film, and also like I think I watched Gone Girl last year for the first time, and. I was listening to that soundtrack and just like all Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross stuff is like awesome. Any duos, good, good stuff. Nick what, Cave, Nick Cave Warren Ellis. <laughs> Who else we got? Uh, good brother in law Silky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the big three. Um, I, no, I guess my comment there is more that I think about Trent Reznor and Atticus alongside Nick Cave and Warren Ellis and... Um, they have similar... Vo- this And maybe Gone Girl makes me think of the assassination of Jesse James, James soundtrack. I haven't seen that film, actually. But mm-hmm. anyway, Gone Girl. I really like Gone Girl. Yeah. Let's do the Fincher thing. Okay. We've talked about Fincher before because you don't like Zodiac. But like, like it's funny. I didn't talk about it properly, though. Like, I am sort of memeing when I'm saying I don't like Zodiac. Yeah. You just think Mindhunter's better. Better. <laughs> better. It's a better show. I've Okay. So... What really works about this film for me is Fincher and is the energy and the way it feels like an action movie. And it's like damn exciting the whole time, this yeah. film. And it's actually damn boring premise and plot. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and you know what's weird is that you can go back and we watch a couple of clips beforehand. And I feel like every scene, like not every scene, but there's lots of scenes that really stand out as great scenes on their own. Like this film has like a lot of scenes that I would watch in isolation and be like, that's a good scene. Yeah. The other day I watched the scene where Army Hammer is the Hammer Bros uh, <laughs> in the, with the Harvard Dean or, or president of Harvard mm-hmm. and that conversation about right and wrong. And I'm like, this is an awesome scene. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. There's so, so many of them. Yeah. Um, There's so much energy in these scenes. Yeah. And I think that's how the Fincher and the Sorkin combos roll in because um, it's just these cuts back and forth and, the the obvious one they do is just having someone set up to say a sentence and then they cut to the scene with the person saying the sentence, you mm-hmm. know, or the opposite, which is where you expect someone to say something and then they come back to the courtroom and he's like, and that was, that was heartbreaking or something like that. And just that scene we watched about, I was your only friend. Mm. Just, I think the, the writing doing the cutting back and forth between past and present is in your face, but it's very enjoyable. Mm. Yeah, and this is a, a film that's really setting up people to do sort of uh, inspired speeches. They're all making, they're all little essays, any of the, um, the scenes, I guess, right? Yeah. I think my favorite part is probably the, the start, the first maybe half an hour or something like that. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, obviously, the opening scene in the bar is like probably the best scene in the movie. Yeah. I think Rooney's so good in it. Yeah, she's so good. Um, not to say that Eisenberg isn't, but I just think that someone else would have played that differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I particularly felt that watching it again because she's just like like growling sort of. She's been really like, you're the worst. And instead of being victim, she's getting agitated mm-hmm. and going at him. And yeah, a lot has been said about that scene, but it, it is a great scene. And just the way it kicks off the film, like, that's fun. That is, that's, it's almost like Tarantino-ish to do these dialogue-y things. Um, and then Tarantino's thing is, hold up, people throw out these long words and long sentences. But then this Sorkin thing is more about the space between sentences. Yeah. 
So it's more about people cutting off each other and intersecting and bouncing back and forth. And I just think that's fun to watch because it's unique and it's exciting. It's just a real filmmaking yeah. thing. I wish it's the sort of thing that would have been cool to see in the cinema in 2010, I think, because you have this opening scene. And this is like a general thing that I've already mentioned, but is going to be a recurring thing, is that I just like how the way that Fincher has done this film and that it's so exciting and it feels so, you know, epic and also like off, you know, something's off and, you know, tense like any of these other films are, but the subject matter is kind of maybe more like bland and corporate or whatever, you know, yeah. the, the, the drama is corporate drama. It like. is pretty unreal, right? Um, like there's no murder. There's no, the biggest scandal is the, like the party at the end. Yeah. And so you've got the opening scene and then you've got him running across Harvard with the piano soundtrack, which is just like amazing. And you know, this film has lots of great scenes of people running like through campus and stuff like that. Well, that first scene is so pronounced. It's obviously trying to say something because I guess it's going, how big is the world? How big is the campus? How awkward is Mark? It's a few things at Mm. once, right? Yep. So that's great. He gets home, does the the hacking and the face mash sort of stuff. Soundtrack is slapping. Like that whole part all through that is just like really great in my opinion. And that's almost like ironic or a parody scene you know because it's like dum, 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 well they write on the window which is like the beautiful minor thing and mark says like let the hacking begin or like i'll be honest sorkin has some kind of clunker of lines in this film which makes you be like why like yeah did you did you get that feeling as well yeah yeah because there's obviously amazing dialogue and then there's lines like that and then there's the one you laughed at where jt's like i've got to find zuckerberg <laughs> like that <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah. And they're just he, he's laying in the bed of the after sleeping with the girls out you with mean? Dakota Johnson. Yeah. And then he goes like full millionaire supervillain or billionaire yeah. supervillain. Which is funny. But anyway, like that opening most I think maybe the first half of the movie I think is really great and really solid. Is there a chance it's the most exciting because you're actually getting kind of cause and effect? Um once it gets a bit later into it, you're not getting this is the like cuz the drama at the start's really tangible. It's like, oh, Will Mark make this website? How will it relate to these other people? How are the twins going to get involved? And it's really there. But then the film maybe struggles a little more or the story struggles when it becomes broader mm-hmm. because it eventually yeah, becomes lasting impacts and stuff. It, and you're not going day to day and week to week as you were at the start. It starts. Be, it becomes what's the impact of this? And I think that the story has this natural rock star origin story sort of thing that's just inherent in... The, the history like the truth right mm-hmm. and when it does those stuff and touches those things like oh you know we're all in a house like it does feel a bit corny or just not as exciting as the rest of the film mm-hmm. like the harvard stuff is really interesting because it's obviously a foreign world you know yeah. this culture is very foreign and it's interesting even though it's like you you despise you're kind of you're not meant to despise it but there's enough there that makes you like kind of be like this place is weird and not a good vibe um, that that stuff's all really interesting, I think. And the most exciting part of the film is that that time period, I think. Yeah, it's definitely doing a... Um, like a, It's like a social socioeconomic thing going on there, and that's fun to watch and interesting. This is the fact that like Eduardo like, had made 600K or something before going to college from investments or something like that. In mm. itself, it's just nuts, you know? Mm. I think, yeah, that's the engrossing stuff that's just... Because people love talking about money and greedy people. And, and I, I love the whole 
you know, Army Hammer being like, or Winkle, what should I call them? Hammer Bros or the Winklevoss? Look, either. The Hammer Bros. One of them is like, oh, you know, we're gentlemen of Harvard. And I just love that yeah. shit. I love that that's like real tension inside his character. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Do you reckon that's real? It's that, uh, like that it happened. Well, I'm not saying it doesn't have to be real, real, but is that just a materialized sort of thing? What do you mean? Did they make that up just because they need some sort of back and forth struggle in that circle? Oh, because maybe. Rather than deciding to sue him straight away. And especially because they don't actually interact with Mark at all in the past. They need to have some sort of something pushing and something pulling. And because Mark's not there arguing with them or anything like that, they're pushing pullers amongst yeah, the three so. boys, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've got to say, I think the Hammer Bros and I don't know the other guy's name. I think their scenes are really good. I really like, you know. They're fun. Yeah. Because they're, they're commentating on it and they, well, because they could almost be the plot of their own movie in this film and yet the story is not even that fascinating outside of it, you know? So I think that's where the socio stuff is getting its, the biggest spotlight And also on you're empathizing or not empathizing with characters from like extreme positions of privilege in the first place, you know, because they make a big deal of like how they've got rich lawyer parents and stuff like that. Well, that's, it's one of the cool, um, profound points they're saying where the, the principal's like, you've, I don't know who, who uh, sort of condenses it to the simple idea that's like, they've wanted everything and now they're losing. Zuck says that, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I think I was just saying that the start is really good. And, yeah. Is there a noticeable decline in quality when the females become... <laughs> I would say, prominent? yeah. So, like, the biggest... We'll tackle it because it's a huge thing, which is just that... It, but it's not even, like, from an ethical point where I feel like I need to make this up. It's just, like, makes the film weaker, literally. Yeah, so just the, the speeches that, um, before watching this again, Nick and Emmy have been mentioned to me when they watched it. It's a very sexist movie. Mm-hmm. And so then I went... And I, I think I must have heard... I think that's a common discourse yeah. around it. But... Still, it would be an oppositional view. Well, here's the thing: people is, froth this film. Yeah, and I watched this with, watched this knowing that that was the critique, having only seen it maybe when it came out, and Imi hadn't watched it, and I was like, maybe this is the thing on the internet that I've seen because you know sometimes you watch films and it's like the misogyny and stuff is underlying a little bit more below the surface. But mm. you know, first time we watched it, no context, she was calling it out as we were watching the film. So it's like, okay, this isn't like a overanalyzed, made up sort of thing, you know, or like subtle. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's on the nose. Yeah. The, so I was expecting, because I guess I thought the film is obviously doing something where they're saying that this is a boy's world and they're idiot boys who don't understand girls and are scared of them. But it's also, and then it, it also does just drop the ball as well. Because it's just, well, actually, here's my big sweeping hot take that I wanted to bring into this. Is, does Fincher not know how to handle female characters that well? I've heard it. That it's Sorkin. Okay. Is, yeah. Well, I, I haven't know. done my Sorkin deep dives, but yeah. knowing Fincher When I listened a bit, to the rewatchables about this, they talked about Sorkin not knowing how to write women. So okay. that's my angle there. But I, I, but I know there's obviously like it's controversy well. around Gone Girl. Is that what you mean? Or? Well, okay. So Gone Girl has a bit of criticism that she is like... Crazy woman. Yeah. It's like uh, women are just trying to con men, basically. And then even... Like even Mindhunter... I'm a little suspicious of the females in that. They're, they're always sort of complementary to the males. There's nothing... Mm-hmm. And obviously the males are the main characters, but then Finch's films just particularly have women acting as sound bites and yeah. reactions as mm-hmm. opposed to inspiring change or positive 
stuff heaps, yeah. you know? Because the, the female, I forget her name, in Mindhunter, um, Holden's girlfriend, she's a bit odd and a bit stop-starty and yeah. she kind of just does... Not like dream pixie stuff, but it's like weird girl stuff that's off screen. And she enlightens him and like makes yeah. him think differently. Yeah, it's, it is that narrative, but she's not that and, specific. And then character. they're always talking about gender as well. Like it's never just two people relating to each other. Um, and then even, uh, again, I'm not Wendy? Doing, Wendy? Yeah, Wendy. She's a bit, she's written like a male character, sort mm. of. And her whole thing is she can't relate to women because the fact, like she has sort of a relationship that's similar to a Holden or a male character might be where she's like, girls are so weird because her girlfriend in the show is feminine and she's not used to the femininity and the the different stuff that she's doing. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but there's also stuff like where she gets kind of harassed by a, one of the agents and stuff like that. Mm. He's probably trying a bit, a bit, you know. And the, I mean, the Gone Girl like, conversation is interesting because the book was written by a woman, you know. Yeah, well, because she's obviously okay with it and loves the idea. It just, it just. But I know I've, I've read that she had like, I don't can't remember the author's name. She had like been all stressed about the criticism because she's like, oh, have I ruined feminism and all this sort uh, of stuff okay, like that. Yeah. It's it's all very interesting and, and convoluted because then there's also the argument. It's like you you know women are allowed to be villains and that's that's okay as well. Because well, it's a cool empowered villain in another sense. And as yeah, well. and that's she's a great villain, you know. Yeah. And but what's okay? I I really like Gone Girl. I don't know how you feel about it, but what's good about that film is that they're both bad. Obviously, she's like more bad in a violent sort of way, but obviously Ben Affleck is never meant to be like. It's playing with you as the audience, you know, until halfway through the film with the big reveal, obviously. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think, well, I guess Fincher. So what's funny about him is he's, I think he has this artistic reputation and sensibility, mm-hmm. but I would argue that what he does maybe is brings artistic s- styles and techniques to kind of blockbustery themes and oh, ideals. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And like when you look about his earliest films, which are, you know, like, Seven and Fight Club or whatever, they're like blockbustery movies, I guess, mm. that have this artistic merit to it that someone else wouldn't have put in the film, you know? Mm. And even with that boy energy we're talking about, like Fight Club is the big one that is like a critique of that, that person, but widely misinterpreted by tons and tons of people, you mm. know? It's interesting. So what do you think your favorite Fincher movie is? It's hard. I really, the thing is, I really like Fincher and I hold Fincher in really high regard in my head, but it's not like I watch them that frequently anyway. It's just every time I watch a Fincher movie, I'm like excited to watch it because it's a Fincher movie. I just love his use of camera editing and specificity, you know, just this. So here's our first bit of trivia for the movie. Apparently, there's only one handheld shot in the entire film when Sean Parker approaches the door at the party that is later... Uh, busted by the police mm-hmm. officers. How crazy is that? Do you know? Like, Talk just, to me about the way this film looks. Do you have any like cameraman insight for me? Uh, my main observations. These films that, have this look, and it's a distinct look, and it's a very pretty look. I would say, or like pretty. Not I'd pretty. I'd say it's moody. Moody. He makes, but it's also it's it's a filmic movie look. So mm. this film, what I did notice about the look was it was really yellow. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the other. So that that's interesting because I guess that's sort of because like whereas Gone, Gone Girl's like blue, isn't it? Yeah. And then Seven is green. Mm-hmm. That's a thing. I think Zodiac is greeny. Yeah, yeah, sort of tinted as well. But anyway, this film, 
One thing I noticed they do far side key a lot of the time, which is where you put the camera on one side of someone's face, you have the closer side of their face to the camera shadowed and the far side is lit. And it's just kind of like an edgy sort of cinematic look. Yeah, it's con- it, very contrasty lighting, even though the environments that they're in wouldn't necessarily have it. So it is just, well, it is making it... Does um, he use the same cinematographers, you think? or I haven't done the research, my bad. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is, I noticed watching the clips how tight the crops were. Yeah. So they gave them like no headroom. He was standing up for the deposition and his head had right. like a centimeter above it which is a different effect and I guess it's just because they're a widescreen and it, it just sort of makes the person look, it makes the background sort of more pronounced. Mm. Um, yeah. And then his other camera stuff is just classic Fincher, which is just super tight pans and push-pull focuses. Like I love the one he does where people jog into the focus where they're out of, you know what I mean? Like they step up, hit their mark and say their line. Yeah. It's such a funny one because it's so unnatural. It's not, it's very movie-ish and very yeah. pronounced. Yeah. And just like discussions where someone's in the foreground, someone's in the background, he'll push and pull focus to do the yeah. look at this person, look at this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So we're saying Finch, uh, the women, it's like... Because the thing is you have the opportunity to... You set it up with this whole face, face match thing and there's this whole undertone of like, you know, he's a toxic dude sort of thing. Mm. And then you don't do anything with it and then you make some shitty decisions later on. It kind of makes it feel weird that those things are at the start. Like, for example, that hacking scene is intercut between the bus of girls going to that fraternity or whatever and having that party, which I think is really effective and cool. But then when you don't critique the people who are indulged in that culture at any point in the film... It does make it feel weird. It's like, yeah. oh, so why is this? It really is just entertainment, then, isn't it? Yeah, it's just throwing beautiful people and being like, and being like, you know, when you when you have money and you come up with a genius idea, you just get laid. Yeah, and that's a theme. Is that like they're always like, oh, people want Facebook because they want to have they want to get laid. That's what the college experience is about, and they want to have sex with people from Harvard, which is powerful and but interesting. You, but they don't do anything. Yeah, because the, there aren't. It's just sim- it's just cut and dry. There aren't any good. Solid female characters in this film. Cause even, well, only Rooney Mara's. But even her, they really make her... They're supposed to make her unlikable, you know? Mm. Um, I know that... Really? I reckon she comes across like... The insightful version of her is that she's a voice of reason and a voice of perspective. At, as an average viewer, you're still going for Mark Zuckerberg in this film, aren't you? I don't know. I, I, I think she's really good and I think her character's really good. So what, she has two scenes? Because she's the only person who has like any power, any, any woman who exerts any power or kind of like autonomy or whatever, you know? Mm. And I think it's good that she comes back for that one scene and says like, you know, good luck with your video game sort of thing. Well, actually, yeah, she's the one thread and she's at the end of the film as well, obviously, when he's refreshing the thing, refreshing her Facebook mm. after he sent her a friend request. No, he's not refreshing hers, is he? Yeah, he is. I thought he was refreshing the lawyers, Rashida's. No, it's Rooney Mara. Is it? Yes. And I only just realized, as I said before, that she calls him an asshole at the start and then... Well, she just said she's not, he's not an asshole. Yeah. But yeah, the women are just so inconsequential in this film. And, and the thing that... There's that scene. Okay, so they all go out with Brenda Song and that other girl and then they're having this meeting and talking about it and Brenda Song goes, can we do anything? And they go, no. And you go, yep, that's the film summed up in like <laughs> one scene. It's like, can we have any impact on this plot? Nope. Yeah, yeah. How would you put in a female character to be normal? 
surely there's like just a coder who's normal at Facebook. You don't need to. It's not even about because even putting yeah, in. You don't have to Facebook force. Facebook girl is the intern who mm. like brings down the group. The whole film is just saying like women are going to sink every ship ever. Well, it's like women as a vice as opposed yeah, to as people. As people, yeah. absolutely. Um. And it just doesn't need to be in it. You don't, because Zuckerberg is the focus of this film and Zuckerberg is not someone who was brought down by women or anything like that. Yeah. But they just go, so he has no like real, he has he's that married in real life anyway. Yeah. Like he, he's not. He has a relationship with Rooney Mara and then everyone else, Brenda Song is crazy at fan, like around Andrew Garfield and then, you know, uh, JT. That's just gets weird. Like why do they, why does she set the scarf on fire? Like you can't tell me that person actually existed and that Andy Garfield's real person was like oh man it just sucked because at the same time my girlfriend i bought her a scarf and, and she lit my scarf on fire and it's just the world was crashing down in on me you know yeah because that's what they're trying to do but it's just pointless right? yeah you just don't need to do it and it's just a weird choice and it's like you take those scenes and instead you don't even need like i'm saying you don't need to force a, hu- a, a female character to be more consequential in the story than they are but you just need to like the only one scene where, like, well, always the shitty behavior on... comes across is where she's the her Rooney Mara's roommate's like, you know, he's blogging about you, and she like has tears come up, and she gets like bullied and something like that, and that's the only, that's it. The whole film, there's no other like sympathy towards yeah. the female. Characters. Just put it in somewhere towards the end, you know, because it's almost like the film is commenting that Facebook shit for women, like it's going oh comparing faces between two girls oh. Um, these girls are succumbing to the attraction of these smart men. Like, women are just victims again and again in the film or they're distractions and messing everything up. Because I think there's something to be said that it, it, it kind of messed with people's IQ, like, not IQ, mentality and mental health and relating to other people. And the Face- film, Facebook, yeah. The it, thing it is touches on that, but it doesn't. Yeah, but we, I, like, I'll give some sympathy, oh, not sympathy, some perspective maybe. A bit of leeway in that we didn't, you know, there's a few comments like, oh, I'm addicted to Facebook now. Oh, you know, I spent so much time on it. But we didn't, we weren't in that period where we're like, you know, it's meant to bring us closer together, but really it's bringing, you know, that wasn't like yeah, the conversation the necessarily. Yeah. That was a couple of years later. Or that wasn't the, it's inspiring militias in different countries across the world. Yeah. What, what else do we have to say about this gender thing? Dakota Johnson, yeah. pervy shots. What's going on there? Yeah. Um, she did biochem. Shout out to that. I'm a former biochem major myself. She did French as well, though. Yeah, I didn't do French. Surprised she's in it as well. The cool part, one of the cool little bits of this film is that pretty much everyone went on to bigger things. I think this was peak JT, though. Yeah, absolutely. It was his most respected role, right? Well, because this is like... In JT's world, this is after Future Sex, like a couple of years, like three years after that, which is like the biggest album in the world, and a and a goddamn was it actually, it was huge, like and a goddamn slapper, you know, like it, it's good. And then this, he gets this role, and then it had like the Time movie. Mm. Then he had the Blackjack movie as well, or like the gambling mm. movie around this era. He's Oscar nominated for something. Interesting, probably the Trolls soundtrack. Yeah. Well deserved. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be his peak. It's not a bad movie, actually. Trolls. Yeah. Mm. And this leads me to one thing is that I really love Finch's casting just mm. in everything. You know, like JT is someone that you'd go, I just love that he makes movies that you know are going to be a big deal, right? And then he casts these people 
who you don't really take, maybe no, don't take seriously or don't think that they could do that role. Okay. Well, like JT's one of them, like Neil Patrick Harris in Gone Girl as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, like Tyler Perry in, in Gone Girl as well. Um, Who's he in Gone Girl? He's like the lawyer. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just always respect when, when Fincher has someone that I wouldn't think, I just like trust in the process. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? Well, here's, I don't know, trivia, I suppose. Well, it is trivia. I read this. I don't know if it's true, but it said that um, our guy, Jonathan Groff, auditioned for the role of Sean Parker. And you could see him doing it. I'm know. in on that more than JT, I got to say. Yeah. Jonathan Groff but is, you need to save him the for, bee's knees. You save him for later, you know. You could have had him for both. Nah, it's not the same. He's awesome. JT's, I love him. JT's a good, a good Sean Parker because it's like one blip and it's like, you know, move on. Mm, I don't know. I, could, I don't know if I love JT in this, to be honest. I really like him. I like, think he's good. I, I'm entertained by it, but I just don't know if I love it as like a, you know, a proper decision. Because mm, no, JT, I, disagree. I don't know, JT just has a weird rep now. I'm not saying he's the best like actor ever, but I just like the casting. It's a deliberate casting because no one does, like, everyone knows who JT is, right? It's also maybe has something to do with he himself was famous in 2000 and whatever Napster was. You know what I mean? Mm. He f- like finally like interweaves with the story, and JT ended up buying MySpace, right? And Did he? He he. I, they tried to like relaunch MySpace as a music platform. I guess make it Bandcampy or something like uh, that, yeah. and that didn't really go. But okay, because MySpace had like big music culture back in the day. Plenty yeah. of people started from MySpace. Yeah, interesting. And Andy Garfield, yeah, he's, he's really good. good in this. Um, oh, and of course, well, do you have any Garfield comments? Just that. He's sort of restrained in this. He's just... I think... He, I don't know. I, I'm not all in on Andy Garfield necessarily, but we talked about him in Obviously Under the Silver Lake. And I think this is the sort of thing good. that makes you realise he's solid. Yeah, yeah, I think he's great in this. You know what I mean? And like, But I don't, I don't think he's a good Spider-Man, and that's no real comment because I'm not a comic... You know, I don't like Marvel films that much. Yeah, he just... It just but it just sense. was kind of boring and not great. And I don't like Hacksaw Ridge. It's too much mustard. It's just like... I haven't seen that. Yeah, you're not missing. He's that. in a Scorsese one. Yeah, I started silence. that and yeah. didn't finish it just because of bed and all that nonsense. But it was like a slow burner. But yeah, he's, and I, as I said in Under the Silver Lake, I thought he was really good in that. Mm-hmm. So, Annie Garfield, watch this space, I guess. Um, so, obviously, Eisenberg is, I mean, like, I don't like him in anything I see him in, to be honest, but he, mm. he's so good in this. And I think he was maybe too good in it that it ruined the rest of his career for me. Um. I, yeah, it's interesting. He, it's just like when you put him in another film, because he, he's made to say that like punchy sort of short dialogue. Mm-hmm. But then if you put that in any other film, it's kind of annoying and like a positive role or something. Mm-hmm. I thought he made sense as Lex Luthor in Batman vs. Superman. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I haven't seen Zombieland and I suppose that's a, it's a, big one. a commercial appreciated film. But I don't know. He just, yeah, it's it's so perfect, such perfect casting. Hmm. Apparently, but he still gets gigs and stuff, so it's not like he's not blacklisted. Yeah. He's probably just not a lead. Is probably the point, right? Mm, yeah. Um, Shia LaBeouf was offered the role, apparently. Really? Because mm. Shia was hot at the time, two thousand ten. Like Transformers. Transformers. Disturbia was what two thousand eight and stuff. Mm. Shia LaBeouf had cloud in this era. He hadn't disappeared yet. That wouldn't work. It's just not the same energy. He could be Andy Garfield, though. Who else? Who else can we cast? Well, who, yeah, Brenda Song. How <laughs> <laughs> about we just delete the character? Yeah. Save the effort. It's just such a bad character. Yeah, give me some facts. Yeah, okay. Here's a bit of trivia for you. So, 
It was featured on the 2009 Blacklist, the script for this film, which I'm sure you've heard of. Blacklist is a list of the most popular Hollywood scripts that aren't getting funded or can't get back in or support. And it's uh, a bunch of famous films have come off the Blacklist because the whole point is they get published on this thing and then they generate buzz. How does does Sorkin, because I imagine he's established, how was he on the Blacklist back then? Except maybe this film probably made him more established sort of thing. I guess so. He had TV before this. Mm. Um, but then I think, I genuinely think this film was like his... Breakout. Yeah, yeah it's his film. His go-to. Steven Soderbergh owned two of the four Red One cameras used in the movie's production, which he lent to the crew. He's given special thanks in the end credits. Pretty fun. The man who shoots films on iPhones nowadays. Yeah, he threw them out. Not sick of them. <laughs> That's crazy. And like this is IMDb trivia. Um, but this one, I just have no idea how they would know this, but you know, it seems too specific. So apparently 268 hours of footage shot for this film, 300 what 35,060 gigabytes data at 4K for this film, 2192 16 gigabyte SD cards. I don't really know what that means. Like I don't think they're shooting these films on 16 gigabyte SD cards. So someone just divide in by 16. Anyway, and I know, I, yeah, just a weird fact, but, you know, if it's true, it's interesting. <laughs> a lot of data. The, the handheld one's good. Um, I like that. And that's got to do with Finch's whole we're, angle. We're now rating the facts. <laughs> Is this interesting trivia or not? <laughs> yes. Despite the fact that Fincher has... It was his first digital film. Zodiac had sequences and Benjamin Button did too. Um, but this is still 2010. I think what this, what this fact right here, which is a valuable discussion fact, this film existed in a different era. I, people are going to have talked, as I sort of reference, people talk about it in the 2010s, but this has nothing to do with 2010 movie culture to me. Mm-hmm. Because 2010 movie culture is, oh, not 2010 specifically, but the 10s movie culture is the marvelification of, the cin- of everything. Yeah, I think what is valuable about this film is that, or what is good is that it does feel like it, it ages well, you know what I mean? It holds up a decade or so later, you know? It, yeah. It doesn't feel defined. It, it, if anything, it's like the sort of thing that comes out at the start of a decade that is pushing into the new kind of decade. Yeah. Um, do you think this was an impact in film or is that too difficult to answer? Do you think that it kind of influenced the genre? Or I don't know. I find it inspiring just in... Like we've said, the things before we said about the storyline versus the execution is inspiring to me, I think. Like, it's just, I really like the way it was done, you know? And it's an interesting story to adapt full stuff, I think, in that yeah. way. Jonathan Groff, as I said. You don't have to repeat the fact you said. <laughs> Did you know that David Fincher directed a suit, suit and tie music video? Did you know that? I, I didn't know that. That's a good music video, I reckon. Is it? I can't really remember it. Maybe we'll watch it after. It's like black and white, and he's like dancing. I'm not super on the stage into in the like music videos that are directed by filmmakers. Well, not true because Paul Thomas Anderson Heim videos of my life. <laughs> okay, which of those do you actually like? The Heim ones. Yeah. I mean, they, they're more I just like serve a product of consistency than being particularly they just look cinematic is the punchline mm. i like the roller skating one's pretty good little of your love yeah yeah well that's one they actually put effort to and just didn't walk you know what i mean it's so weird anyway. i don't know i'm just happy to see every time i see them it's collab cute. i'm like yeah. that's nice well and as we we might have mentioned an old pod but the youngest time sister is going to be in the, the new next PTA PTA movie. Mm. 
which yeah. is exciting. Got to love a bit of. We yeah. got to do a PTA film, surely. It's about time. Yeah, it's just a. See, I think funny thing about Fincher is I feel like I have a close relationship to Fincher, but I don't actually. I think I kind of get Fincher and PTA mixed in a little bit just because they're guys that do deliberate stuff with camera. Mm-hmm. Like Fincher with the whole pans and then PTA with the long takes and the slow moving dollies and stuff. Mm-hmm. When, you, when I asked you before about what your favorite Fincher film was, I wanted to answer myself, of course. <laughs> um, no, but... I just thought you would say Mindhunter because all you do is talk about Mindhunter. And I would have. So, yeah. Well, it's just interesting. I, I'm sort of surprised that Mindhunter is my favorite Fincher thing. Um, and even how does Mindhunter relate to this? It's fascinating because that's based in truth, yet it still achieves a different thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, who did the soundtrack on Mindhunter? Because it wasn't Trent and Atticus, but it's a good soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Or like an well, affecting that, soundtrack a lot at least. needle drops. Like yeah, but it's got a feel to it that seems distinct to that show, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, why do you think Mindhunter's his best thing? And well, anyway, I think maybe his best film. So I like Seven. I'm, I don't love it as much as people who probably were at the time love it because I think it's one of those films where maybe it was super duper edgy when you saw it. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, even that was another thing I wanted to say about this film, which is that uh, one of the trivia bits I read was that they reckon... Um, Army Hammer was saying, let's gut the effing nerd mm. instead of fricking, but they dubbed it, they think. Really? Um, and so then there's a few instances, even in the clips we saw, where like Mo- uh, Rooney Mara was about to say fuck, mm. and then they cut it out. Yeah, right. Because they cut to the other angle yeah, and took yeah. it out. And so they were saying this film was sort of wrestling to have a non yeah. R rating. Mm-hmm. And that culture's changed completely. You can totally get away with F bombs. And the other one was they didn't want to show cocaine on the girl's stomach. You have to see them separately. At the ah. house party, um, but yeah, I think it's it, it's a weirdly censored movie. Yeah, but the thing is, it doesn't need to be. I don't think it hurts it, but I just think that the attitude. But you towards... could just imagine this. You know, imagine if they took it one step further and they have like girls, like they have like boobs in it. Like it would just ruin the film. You know. <laughs> well, the female representation can't get. Well, it would be worse. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> It also doesn't help that the guys who have clout in these groups are wearing caps backwards in like suit jackets or something. Yeah. Just the, the cringiest look. What is it? 2003 though, maybe. 2003, low-key a grim time, I imagine. I'm not far, far enough away from the 2000s to have the appreciation for it because like I listen to it's the, era, the only era of music that I don't really like have any sort of sympathy for, like <laughs> popular music at that sort of time, like... I don't know, maybe in 10 years or so. Because whenever I hear things doing like 2000s like references, like those, you know, snares and clap sounds, I just go, ugh, like that, yuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, apparently the opening breakup scene was eight pages, took 99 takes. That doesn't surprise me. Mm-mm. What do you think about the ending and the ultimate message the film leaves? Um, I like the ending. I think it's really good. I kind of like how it wraps up kind of quickly. You know? You like uh, the Rashida line? Yeah, I do. Do you not like it? I don't. What don't you like about it? Well, I'm with Emmy, to be honest. I didn't say anything last night to save for the pod. But uh, Emmy made a comment that the Rashida Jones character is there to suck up to... That wasn't last night. That was literally this morning. (laughs) This morning. (laughs) I've lost all sense of time. Um, Yeah, her character is just... Well, it, it's that big punchline at the end where she's like, 
oh, she's been meta and she's going, the world is watching you, Mark Zuckerberg. Everything you do, we're associating our views onto what you do. And then she's like, you're not an asshole. You're just trying your best to be. I don't know. I think it's so apologetic to Mark Zuckerberg in that line. Really? Interesting. Yeah. I don't know whether it's just because of the, the way Mark Zuckerberg turned out that I can't read it as sympathy. You know, maybe if it was 2010 and I saw it, I would feel sympathetic, but I just don't feel any sympathy from that or feel like it's trying to force me to feel sympathy. I and, and, yeah. yeah. I think Zuckerberg is, has been such an interesting popular culture character anyway, because I don't know if he's good or bad. He's just big business. I think he's bad. Is he's, he bad? He's or, unethical. Is it negligent or is it like actively? But negligence unethical? becomes so much worse when you're in these positions of power that it, it's not the same sort of negligence we can get away with. Like you and I would could say something stupid on the pod, you know, and the, we're not really fucking with people's Lives, livelihoods. Yeah. But he is fucking with people's livelihoods and the structure of the world. Yeah, you know, negligence. People. Deserved to be respected and taken, you know, and not abused. You know what I mean? Mm. It's a complicated world and and people don't deserve to be abused, I would say. What do you think of when you think of Zuck? I just think of the, I think of like, like the memes about him are pretty funny. Like him drinking water at the Congress hearing and stuff like that is all hilarious. Mm. And there's that one where he's. Like live streaming this video of him like roast. Yes, what is that's it? the one that comes to mind. What, he's what like having it? a barbecue. Um, he's like spit roasting. It's a specific a pig or weird thing that he just keeps saying over and over. And, and he's over like, hmm. and he's real smiling towards the character and it's selfie. And yeah, how does a guy like him? I don't know. We're not. We're not actually doing the Mark Zuckerberg thing, I guess. But I don't know like enough detail for exactly. us to have a real dissection of that. And also, like I, I we've done a little bit of it, but I don't want to get into like. The politics of Facebook. Of Facebook, you know. Yeah. Do you think that, like, a sequel would be good and timely? I would really, I really want to see one just because this is the thing. Like, I've got plenty of critiques about this film, but when it comes down to it, it's, like, a very exciting film. And I would watch it again, to, you know, like, tomorrow, to yeah, be honest. I, okay. Well, yeah. What it's, what's that about? Is that, that's the Fincher thing, right? Uh-huh. I think it has to be because Sorkin gets all this credit for making... An interesting script and stuff, but it's the Fincher stuff that I love about this movie, to be honest. It's the editing, it's the tight and uh, objective. So it's not objective, but it's just like robotic camera work. It's just so fun to watch someone have such a crafted film. And just this feeling of everything they do is trying to make you feel a certain way. And his films are all trying to make you not connect with people a little bit. Yeah. They're all about posturing and dialogue yeah. and pauses and stuff. And it's so, it's so different. Like, I just don't understand how you achieve that. Because you can argue it, like, if you don't know his movies that well and if you haven't critically thought about them, you'd think it, something's off, sort of. But then it's completely intentional the whole time. And it serves his themes, mm. which is mistrust and power and all these different sort of things. But yeah, the fact, because even, I guess it's the, like, even how Rooney seems really cold and a bit weird, even though she's normal. And, um... Like, the most normal character in this film is who? Like, Rashida Jones. Mm. She's, she doesn't really have enough time to be anything. Yeah. And the lawyer. His lawyer is a bit, like, funny and charming. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I just love how he makes... His films just feel different, and they're fun and exciting and rapid and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This film won Best Editing at the Oscars as well. Um, what do you think about that? 
Any thoughts? Of the editing. It's really good. I just want to bring up, what do you think about the rowing scene in the middle of the film? Because when we talk about the soundtrack, it's always really annoying when that... And like, you know, credit to Trent, it does, it, you know, it kind of slaps a little bit, but it's... And it's a nice reimagining of something. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. But I don't like listening to it either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not the best song. The best stuff is like the introspective... I, I really love how he blended like piano and synths on this soundtrack. But that's what he does, you know. Yeah. And it's just like some of it do be slapping. And I've said this to Tom before and someone please do this idea. If you're a rapper, like rap, make a, a, a mixtape where you rap to this soundtrack. I just think it would be the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Sort of like when Jay Electronica did um, Eternal Sunshine. Like, oh, he rapped to the whole soundtrack. Well, just some of it, yeah. Man, I should get on that. I love that soundtrack. Um, I, could, I just think this would work so well. Because literally some of the beats sound like injury reserve beats. And they're kind yeah. of, I don't know. It would be awesome. Yeah. Just the transition between the first and second track on this is just next level. Because mm. the first one's got you feeling and thinking, and the second's like, boom, 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 boom. And it's so slow. Like, it feels like it should be faster, and yet it hits harder because it's slow and delivers like, dum, 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 dum. Right. You know and I've got to say, being a big fan of the soundtrack, watching the film and hearing the songs come in is it's so, so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I know this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same thing happened for me with Minari. Because yeah. I guess... Well, I haven't mentioned to the viewers, I went to Minari again two days after the pod recorded mm -hmm. and all the songs were coming on. I'm like, ah, yes, wind song. Yeah. Ah, grandma's picked a good spot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think it bolsters a film listening to the soundtrack. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, man, soundtracks are just the best. The thing is when I'm in study mode, I'm always just listening to soundtracks and then when I need to put on other music, it's not like I can go into my recents and like have things that I've been listening to because it's all soundtracks. I like, like this idea of playing soundtracks in social so, social environments yeah. because it's just, they're, they're going, oh, why aren't you listening to someone singing words? And you're like, dun, dun, dun. And, <laughs> and looking at them with your head tilted to the side. Yeah. Funny. I interrupted. We were, you were talking about editing. Yeah, the editing in this is really good. You know, is it in the script though? That's what I'm, that's what I'm left wondering. I'm not saying that's undermining it at all. It's just, um, it feels like the cuts are... Um, well, this is what's, in, you know, that lessons from the screenplay, they talk about how Sorkin in West Wing was like walk and talks. And then in this one, Fincher does lots of rapid cuts. Like it's completely different. That's really cool to look at, I think, you know, because walk and talks are a bit of a cliche at this point, you know. You know who, and you would never who brought the walk and talk back to life though? Tenant. <laughs> Let's walk through the streets of random... London or whatever and we'll talk, on talk the, secrets. Yeah. I think it's cool that he found a new way to adapt a style. D does that make sense? So I think the editing does deserve credit, I guess, in that sense, mm. where it's like you've taken someone else's formula and appropriated it to a new, your own style, like in a different way, and it does work, you know? I think there's this strange irony with movies, at least in my opinion, where everyone tells you the whole time you've got to show, not tell. And there's this kind of negative stigma towards dialogue. Mm -hmm. But dialogue done right is just so much fun, you know? I agree. And this is... Because it's the Tarantino thing. I watched Inglorious Bastards just recently and I was just so taken at how they're not... It, the movie's not... Of course it's coherent, but in terms of how it's like, long it's like each scene chunks. goes yeah. together, yeah. It's, they're really just little plays. It's um, the... The house at the start, it's the bar scene at the end where they're on, you know, in the third middle, act yeah. where they're trying to do the secrets. And it's just these extended 
sequences of people talking to each other. And I think it's they say that just because a lot of people can't write dialogue, but that it's fun to watch good dialogue. You mean you've done a screenwriting class. Why can't people write dialogue? I would say one of the big challenges is saying what you are thinking and then like because it's so easy to go, oh, I feel like this. Uh, you know, the character goes, I'm mad at you rather than showing them out in an alternative way. Yeah, like they were in a realistic way. Yeah, and realistic dialogue. I'm, I'm still sort of, I don't know, it sounds whatever, but I'm sort of surprised that people can't write better dialogue sometimes. Well, it's people talking about, it's not, maybe it's people not putting themselves in the shoes of the characters or not writing from the character's perspective, but rather like writing a scene to serve a purpose. Or, yeah, This exactly. is what I want to say in this scene and this is what I want to happen this is what I want to have changed between the start and the end of the scene. Well, because this, this script Because that's what you do. Like, if dialogue serves a functional purpose, right? So, you go, the scene, something needs to have changed over the scene. And, you know, it's about how you get there from the start to the end. And you need to actually take, an, take the route that the characters would take. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? There's this thing that in one of the books I've read, it's like, the other character should always be prepared for an argument because that's what real people are like you get ready for these showdowns that you're in mm-hmm. um but even the opening scene doesn't do much in terms of the plot but it does a lot for character development mm, yeah so i think in another world people cut that intro is maybe the point because it's not it's not talking about facebook it's just trying to go like here's the context for him making this thing mm-hmm. and obviously it serves the point of them breaking up but you could jump in later in the conversation it's a very fleshed out discussion yeah and so that's someone who wants to do that. So maybe other people are busy writing different scenes because like, they want yeah. to do different things. Yeah. It's, it's as good as... That scene is as good as people say it is, I think. That scene yeah. is... Yeah. It's, it's just sort of a shame that it's the singular best scene of the movie. I, I think yeah. that's always going to have a negative impact on the film because you're left going, oh, I wanted another one of these. There's some other good ones. Like I said, the Army Hammer one in, in The Office I think is good. I think the Andy Garfield getting screwed over stuff is really good as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, just him storming out of the office and facing down with Parker and the other Parker, Mr. Parker, and then smashing the laptop. I think that I really, actually, I'm su- we haven't dove into this, but I want to now. I really do like the ending stuff, the present, in, oh, not the present, in the flashback stuff where it's all falling apart rapidly with Garfield and Sean Parker. It's, it's properly tense and it does feel like a betrayal. Um, and it's just fascinating. Like, I love how, I don't know why, I think it was in that video maybe, but you see the behind the scenes shot where he's going backwards on the dolly. And so, like, Andy mm. Garfield storming down the Facebook offices and they've got it at like a low angle on this smooth as track. And then. Something about seeing that behind the scenes clip was like. Made it seem cool. It was so cool to me because that's the thing. And that's, that's the Fincher thing where it's like. You might as well be on an action, you know, the, it might as well be an action movie or a thriller or something like that. And you're just pulling that shit out. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. cool. And then I like how silent Zuckerberg is at the end, how they're just like, because I suppose it's working well in the parallels of Facebook where it's like, he's not saying anything because it's almost like he didn't realize the impact his decisions would have. Mm-hmm. I think that's quite powerful. Yeah. You know, he didn't realize how much he was fucking over Eduardo's feelings. I think it's the kind of implication is that, he follows a thought as far as he wants to follow it and then doesn't give it any mind after that. You know what I mean? So he, he makes that decision and then doesn't follow it through to the fact that he's screwing over Eduardo and yeah. all these repercussions are going to happen. Yeah. What do you think about Sean Parker's representation in this film? Because they bring him in as like cool supervillain, sleeping with a babe and, 
you know, that sort of thing. What do you th- okay. And then, so the Victoria's Secret monologue, do you like that in the in the club? So yeah, what is it again? Unpack it for me. It's- so I think so Zuckerberg goes, I do I do I know your date from somewhere? And then he tells a story about the founder of Victoria's Secret selling too early and then committed suicide, which I'm pretty sure I heard is not actually true or didn't happen like that maybe okay. in real life. But if you're listening, maybe fact check it. Yeah. And then at the end he says my date's a Victoria's Secret model. Like, that's how you know her. What do, you, what do you think about that scene? Well, I just think they're doing an interesting thing with him because I, I don't know if I like it completely. Just this idea that they're like, he's a rock star in the nerd world and this is the new era of what rock stars look like. But then I don't love how heavy-handed it is where they're kicking him at the end and they're yeah, like, I agree. oh, my Ventolin. Oh, yeah, um, I agree. Oh, you were underage too? Oh. I think that when you do that thing where... Andy Garfield like threatens him and he like flinches. Yeah. That does every, that does all of that. You know what I mean? Without. And it would have been better. Yeah. They didn't undermine. And they give him like the cliche rock star fall off thing. You know what I mean? At a party and. Yeah. And his downfall happens just a little too quickly. That one scene doesn't sell it enough. And then him in the police station. But you almost don't even need it. Like, like what do you, the film's about Zuckerberg. It's not about Sean Parker. I don't think you need to, explicitly kill off Sean Parker or, you know, show him that this thing where Zuckerberg realizes like, oh, maybe he's not always cracked yeah, up to Yeah, because Zuckerberg losing Eduardo is enough already. Mm. And I think it's a little better if it's implied that Sean Parker's a shit friend. Mm. It's more, it'd be better to place it on the audience to go, well, they shouldn't have, they're not the partnership you'd actually want to be in. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit too blatant. And that's the thing. As much as there's subtle dialogue in this thing, there's definitely parts that are on the nose and very blatant. Mm. It's, it's weird. Yeah. The, other, the stuff that just stands out as fun and good dialogue is Zuck being weird in front of lawyers and stuff like that. Yeah. Like so him good. in the tribunal going, yes. <laughs> and then him. The also, minimum amount of my attention scene is yeah. so good. Yeah. Um, and the, let me just check that when he's talking about the maths. Like Zuck being an, a smartass is fun every time in this film. And especially shutting down the, the Winkle bosses. That classic like. Maybe that maybe it just was a bigger deal at the time than we're, I'm thinking about it, but this is maybe marking that era where nerds became all powerful because now we're kind of okay with that idea and we're quite familiar with it. Yeah, that the the people who run these big companies aren't jocks. What and I like so this is yeah. like the death to the jock movie a little bit. And what I like is that Zuck gets mad throughout these interactions as well. Like he's obviously smart and meant to be steps ahead of them, but he still gets pissed off. You know what I mean? They get to him. Yeah, and he like raises his voice every now and then and snaps. Mm. I really like that character playing out that way, as opposed to being so removed and indifferent that it doesn't bother him because it does. You know what I mean? Mm. It's more complex of a character, I think. Yeah, I, I think his character is well constructed. That he cares what other people think. His whole shtick is he can't figure out how to interact with people, and yet that mm-hmm. he and he acts like he doesn't need other people, but he does. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just near the end. What what are the scenes that you love? Because it is full of scenes to love. I think I've talked about a lot of them. Obviously, the opening, Hammer Bros, anything with... I don't know. I just love the tension of any scene when they're talking about Zuck screwing them over. Mm. I just really like those scenes for whatever reason. Um, like, it's fun when they replay the scene of Zuck being told the idea from the twins. And I think they're telling it as in the present. They're saying he did this. That's fun about that because it's like you look at him in a different light. You're not looking at him 
as a protagonist at that moment. Yeah. I think I like I like um, the scene where they're doing shots and sign up and he goes, welcome to Facebook. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's iconic. And just that shot looks so good. It's just, not an essential like thing, but I just really like that scene. I think they needed to do that for, for the Facebook clout because you have to like sort of make it clear how cool it is, but how it's got... I think it does a good job of being how cool it is versus how much it's inherently nerdy at the same time. So there's that scene where they obviously hook up with the girls in the bathroom and then they have this like shit eating grins on that like, like, grin on their faces, which is almost makes me empathize with that writing decision because I think that scene is they act that scene very well. Do you know what I mean? Like that the disbelief that they have groupies is kind of believable for a split second there. What do you, do you agree with that? Like, so the question is, well, I don't know. It's obviously I don't. Do we, I like that? We, thing? we talked about that whole subplot narrative is annoying and stupid, but yeah. like, there's a split second there where it. Kind well, of becomes that, a bonding moment between them. Yeah, that's just the rock star. That's a rock star scene. But it wasn't, but they, I don't know, it was acted well, in my opinion. It's funny and it's entertaining and it's dumb. And, but well. obviously, they're doing something that immediately after that he goes to Rooney Mara and then gets, you know, served. Like, yeah. I don't know. Well, what scenes do you want to talk about? Him looking out the window is good, which goes into a minimum amount of attention. What else is good? The hacking stuff at the start is fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I just like, I think the best parts of the film when active stuff is happening. I think it loses a bit of momentum when it's... The chicken stuff is funny too reflective. as well. Yeah, that's a good, like... And I think that's actually fairly powerful in terms of theme and stuff. Jack the club insane. We touched on it. Yeah, I mean, I like... You know, it's funny. Like, that scene is like, we're writing. Like, this is a constructed scene. Yes. Like, yeah. it's so blatant. It's the most blatant, like, script writer's scene in the whole film, in my opinion. The way that he tells that story. Because it's so not what would happen ever. Yeah. But I do like the, the flash of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like showing off in the yeah. writing. <laughs> yeah. I don't love the house stuff where they're, like, abseiling from the roof. Yeah, and, cliche. And, and yeah. smoking bongs and, oh, this place is so messy and disorganized. Yeah. And then Andy Garfield's coming in like a dad or whatever. Mm. Don't love that. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark throwing beers. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that, that's actually the singular reason that's in. Yeah. Um, great scene. Or great bit, at least. I like the, the, the rowing into after rowing because it's so inconsequential that it's just sort of like, here's what's going on over here. And mm. then I just think it's funny watching. I think Army Ham- Hammer is like funny in this. Uh, he's ca- the- I think he's really good. It's the best. I think it's his best film, to be honest. Like, Definitely Not like Elio, 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 Elio. I like, I mean, obviously, Call Me By Your Name's great, yep. but I think he's better in this than he is in that. That's my take. And he acts with himself, and his acting with himself is good, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, those would be weird scenes to shoot, wouldn't they? You know why he's probably good is because that's probably what his life was almost like, you know what I mean? Mm. He comes well, from like an oil tycoon yeah, family. Yeah, <laughs> unreal. Um, oh, and of course, the Army Hammer disclaimer that we don't agree with. <laughs> Condone <what's>... cannibalism? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's that really funny line where he's like, he's like, you know, I'm six foot eight and there's two of, you know, yeah. I love that line, whatever that let's, is. Let's beat him up or something. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. It's a good bit that one of the twins is angry and one of them's calm. Works well. Yeah. And I think that out of all the characters who say corny shit, they're the most believable that they would say corny mm. shit because of their background. They're, they're kind of like dumb jocks, but smart dumb jocks. Yeah. And it's a funny bit. Yeah. Mm. And even like that. I like the other guy with them though. Yeah, he's he's really good. Yeah. A lost error. Anyway, um, I think we're running out of time. Yeah, that's a timer. All right. Social network. Big Tombo, what do you think? What worked for you? 
the craftsmanship of this film. The, the tight angles, the tight zooms, the tight pans, the tight dialogue and the pauses. Um, it makes... It puts so much emphasis on body language and posture and discussion. And it's so much fun to watch. Uh, what would you change? What would I change? The themes. I think the themes need to be reworked a little bit. Um, make the angles a bit clearer. and Well, maybe not clearer, but just better. <laughs> They're a bit too sympathetic to men, a bit too sympathetic to super nerds, a bit too... I don't think they capture the ramifications of messing... Like, they don't condemn him enough. Um, or at least condemn him. Maybe he shouldn't be condemned specifically. I don't want one institution condemning him, but I want his lifestyle and the negative impacts of what he started and the people he's hurt kick in a little more. Like, mm-hmm. Eduardo is still sort of an annoying character. Like, you don't want him to win even though you feel sorry for him. Do you agree with that? Like, Eduardo, kind of every scene he's in is him kind of being a mom or a dad. It's just... Well, it's funny because Eduardo is the guy we're supposed to believe is the victim out of all of this yeah but Eduardo's worth billions of dollars and i was just reading before you know renounce his american citizenship citizenship to avoid paying hundreds of million dollars worth of tax (laughs) so it's like he's a villain he's not a good guy yeah (laughs) yeah maybe i would have liked a bit more this world this shit this uh competitive rich world because it's good when it is rolling because it does exist you know it's going like zuck isn't satisfied not being in the top club thing so i just reworked the themes i don't like some of the moral gaps in it Mm. yeah and it's funny though i just feel like that's the second half of the film not doing the first half enough justice you know Mm. i yeah anyway we're talking about you uh what would you rate it three and a half it's just too well crafted to go any lower um i don't love it as much as everyone else does it's that simple i just don't think it's genius like i think it's such a well-made film i just don't think it's a genius story or the best film like it it doesn't move me heaps it entertains me heaps yeah i'm also going to give it a three and a half and i literally like i went into watching it last year thinking i was going to love it because you know when you just it looks like on paper like it's your your thing Mm. And then I was like, oh, a little let down. And then I was like, maybe it's because I'm watching this with Emmy and I'm feeling like more sensitive. <laughs> like I can't ignore the women's stuff enough, but when yeah. I watch it next time, I'll be focused on the screenwriting and it'll be better. But it was just the same thing. You know what I mean? It was the same experience watching it again. But having said that, like it's, I've said it before, like it's got so much energy that is really admirable. And obviously there's so many great scenes that I really love. You know, this album, this, this album, this movie is like an album that has like three amazing songs and then a lot of it's not that good, but you still listen to it because like... Yeah, it, it's a moment as well, and yeah, and you're like, this is genius. This part it, is genius. it is like a genre piece, sort of. It's so specific. There aren't that many films like this. The fact that it's doing the hacker thing, doing the success rock star thing, doing the uh, commentary on friendship stuff. Like, it's quite a unique combination of stuff going on here. Yeah, and obviously the soundtrack is a five. Yeah, um, absolutely. Well. I'll give it credit for what it is and what it does. It it is. It's a cool scene because it doesn't really make sense. Like it doesn't need to be there. It's just like them losing at something. I think that's the message it's trying to get. Yeah. Um, But I would, the thing is I would watch it again tomorrow, literally. So I I think that's, I got to say that's Fincher though. Yeah. Like Gone Girl was on TV the other day and I'd watched it recently and it was halfway through the film and yet we still just found ourselves watching it. And even Gone Girl has its, like, flaws. Like, I feel like cop stuff where they're in Ben Affleck's house, Mm. it feels really played out and really dramatic. Mm -hmm. 
but it's still just fun to watch because it's... Well, it's interesting because Fincher, I think with someone like Fincher, who is a big time director and makes blockbusters, he's always running the risk of flying too close to the sun because he's, it's so, it so is a movie and so is like a film experience that sometimes it just goes a little bit too far over that line. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it, but it's because you're doing it at such a level that it's, it, it is running the risk of doing that. You know, it's the same as someone making, you know, pop music and then sometimes they just go a little bit too far in that direction that makes it feel not as genuine as if it was yeah, a, a, big, a couple steps back. You yeah. Know? I don't know how many like emotional beats he fully lands always. Because mm. I think I think the music helps the emotional beats land in this film. It's not necessarily... But I, I think, yeah, it's funny because like my favorite sort of movies are ones that have emotional connections with me, but I'm also really drawn to his films for maybe for, for the opposite reason. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Interesting, because yeah, that's why Mindhunter's so good. Because Mindhunter's the ultimate blue ball, and it's yeah, it's a it's like a societal commentary yeah. and like a commentary on law and justice, and it's a and and what we expect from how we make sense of murder and horrid horrid stuff and human behavior, you know? Because that's what his films are broadly doing. Again, they're all humans being something and going like, "Hey, look at this person. Isn't this a bit weird? Or how do you feel about this?" Is this your favorite Finch, uh, Fincher soundtrack? Well, it's mainly this and Gone Girl that are the favorites. Because um, I, I don't know if Mindhunter's got original music. I'll have to... I don't think he did it. Um, At least I haven't seen it pop up. Is it your favorite? Soundtrack for him? We need to get the vinyl, don't we? Yeah, it's close. This will, like, I love Gone Girl as well. This is probably better because it's like more in your face than Gone Girl. Because Gone Girl is a lot more ambient stuff going on. I like for a more significant chunk of it. This one is really good because it, it tells a story just by listening to it. And Gone Girl does, but you do get like ignorance into like, oh, this is getting darker into like darkness into mm. reflective. Whereas this one is kind of ref- like every different part makes you sort of, it, it, the arc's less parabolic. Well, that's what's funny is listening soundtrack. to the soundtrack and then watching the film and seeing where the music lines up with what scenes is mm. interesting. Because it's not always what you pick, but it always works. Yeah, and sometimes they seem too pronounced for the scenes, which is funny, but it works. Cool. Uh, what are we plugging? We're plugging our letterbox. Lil Silky, L-I-L-S-I-L-K-Y. I'm Good Brother on Instagram. And I'm Good Brother on Letterbox. Letterbox. If you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, follow us on I'm Good Brother at Instagram. How about you follow like Love Cunt on, on Facebook? Facebook. Yes, like Love Cut Short Film on Facebook. Please. Thank you. <laughs> Please donate. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Yeah. By the time this comes out, maybe you're accepting donations. Maybe. I'm always accepting. All of this soundtrack Support talk. Support our Patreon. <laughs> all of this soundtrack talk is geeing me up for the, the Love Cut soundtrack. Yes, yes. So, pressure's on. Exciting. I feel like it's going to be more Minari than, than <laughs> um, Social Network, but we'll see. Dum, 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 dum. All right, this has been another classic. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in, tell us who's done. Another antique shipwreck you spun. It's a Friday or a Tuesday. They mark my week, tell me when and where and what's fun. Maybe if we... Maybe give us another sentimental, idealistic new one.
shit full of was nots. The same sound to fill the room, not a long shot. Give us who.